You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, as well as the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. Food for thought. Is the lyric, I wish I could break free, back to where I'm supposed to be, acknowledgement of the existence of alternative universes? How else could we possibly be anywhere but where we are in fact supposed to be? Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Uh, I got my fancy new uh, mic arm boom mount here on my desk. There you Chris, go. you like that? Looking very, <laughs> very my professional today, man. So I nice. feel I feel like a real podcaster now. 131 episodes in, I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, Chris, how you been doing, man? Doing good, man. I'm uh, I'm trying to practice some mixing. So it's been a minute yeah. since I've been able to do some true mixing, and uh, you know, I'm I, you know, it's funny. I, I have this little project I'm working on. I was like, you know, I, I don't typically mix in a doll, so I, but I can mix on a console. So I brought a console home. And I started mixing on it, and and I, uh, Matt Carter challenged me. He was like, lean into it. He's like, you know, do the doll thing, like figure it out. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. just because you're a live mixer doesn't mean you can't do the doll stuff. So so I'm I'm trying to push myself to to do things differently and bounce mixes off of you and some others and it's uh it's fun well yeah what i think i was gonna say what i think is really cool about what you've been doing is just sending it to people constantly and saying what do you think you know how do i make this better and what are your thoughts and that's that's a great way to improve man um so that's cool i'm glad you're having a good experience with it um i i kind of want to get right into it because i've been really looking forward to to this conversation with our guest this week uh, Mr. Kyle Hamilton. He's mixed front of house for a bunch of A-list artists. Uh, Ed, Chris, you want to hit, hit us with the hit us with the, the list there? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> as uh, of recently, like Kendrick Lamar, Pharrell. Um, we got Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, Mary J. Blige, Robin Thicke. I mean, the list. The list. Demi Lovato, on. my favorite. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot in here. <laughs> Jamie Fox. I mean, come on, man. It's just amazing. So Yeah, the funny thing actually is we get this. Uh I, there's a few of these artists that I was kind of doing some things maybe like right before you started working with them. It's kind of funny as well. So like uh Chrisette Michelle, uh Sierra, Chris Brown. I've done stuff with all of them, but like earlier in in their time. So Okay. Yeah, but uh yeah, Kyle, so welcome, welcome to the, to the show, show man. It's really great to have you here. You, you, come on, let me Thank hang out in applause, Chris. For having me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, normally Kyle Turnside, who is unfortunately not with us right now, we we uh, have he, a, he, arguably a cooler Kyle with us this week. So yes, and he would he would agree. <laughs> he would. Kyle Churn Kyle Churnside would agree. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so so I was uh, as as the listeners know, I was out at Outside Lands Festival being the hey turn it down guy, and uh, you know Lizzo the, for the Lizzo set. Kyle, you were out there making front of house, which was which I didn't expect. Um, and so when I found out that it was you, I was like, oh man, this is really cool. And I, you know, I came up to you and I said, you know, that I've been following your work for quite a while in the trade magazines and stuff. And you were like, well, let me give you my number. And I thought that was, that was really cool of you, man. So uh, I appreciate you being, uh, being so welcoming and being so accessible and, and coming to chat with us. I think that's, I think that's awesome. That's awesome. That's what's up. So <laughs> you say you were surprised to see me there. Why I, was that? I, I think the last time I heard about the Lizzo gig, it was somebody else at front of house. Is that a recent, did you recently okay. get that gig? yeah um was, was it brandon blackwell this summer is that who it was i yeah. believe so uh i couldn't tell you i don't really know but I, I think that name was probably who it was um 
like this summer was 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 all over the place. It started off with Usher at the residency, and then as that tapered out, uh, I get a random call like, "Yo, we gotta do Doja Cat." Okay, cool. Let's let's go. And then the next day, uh, you interested in doing Lizzo? I'm like, well, let me see if, how the dates work. <laughs> So one weekend I'm doing one week I'm working on Usher. The following week is Doja. The next week is Lizzo. So actually the whole summer, they all kind of leapfrogged. So it kind of just all worked out. So it's awesome. You know, so it was, <laughs> I mean, that, that, what a killer gig. But I, first of all, I, like I, t- I told you this on the phone, but I thought it, I thought it sounded awesome, man. I thought the mix was killer. Um, I, I hate you. <laughs> that's what you said to me too. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's something that's, that I, I definitely want to talk about because, um, you know, what's that process like for you of kind of thinking back on what you were doing and going, oh, I didn't like this and I really want to improve this. And this just isn't working out that process of workshop in your own stuff, man. You know, how's that go for you? Well, I mean, not to just, you know, wear anybody out, but in my mind, we rehearsed one way. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the gig, they're playing a complete different way. So the framework that I had compiled to compensate in case they go, you know, full excitement wasn't enough because uh, they went extreme excitement. <laughs> and it changed the whole dynamic of, you know, how I have things sitting. Hence, that's why I felt like, you know, I was out of balance for for certain parts of this for certain parts of this performance when it gets real dynamic because it was just too much. And then I would glance over there like, huh, well, I know I'm pushing it, but I'm not pers- purposely pushing it. And then when I see the reviews, I mean, it was great reviews, but it said, yeah, uh, Lizzo's loud show. And that kind of irritated me because I don't mix loud. I mix big, mm. but not loud. And they took me to the threshold of loud. And, and I couldn't, it was, and I couldn't really back in because once you shocked the audience with whatever SPL, your, your foundation of SPL, when you pull it back, you lose them because like you pull the rug from underneath them. So I was kind of stuck in the stratosphere and I didn't want to be there. So how did you approach, did you approach putting that mix together from scratch or did you inherit the file from, from. No, I I would never inherit anybody's file. (laughs) No, I'm here for a reason Mm. only for what I do, not what someone else does. So no, I created everything from scratch. And again, we've been rehearsing and everything. So it's like, we're doing different shows. So we just came out of rehearsal. So we had some dynamic changes, which was great. And I had, you know, prepared for them, but I wasn't prepared for, you know, nuclear percussion. (laughs) So it just changed the dynamic. But I mean, at the end of the day for the, for the, for the, uh, the patrons, they loved it. I personally hated it. You said it sounded great. I'm like, well, I don't know who to, vibe off of but as long as everybody else is cool you know management was happy and the artists were happy but it's just for me i just wasn't where i thought it should be. well i mean there are a couple aspects to that for me one is i was i sat at front of house all day so i heard you know mm-hmm. seven eight nine bands of different mixes and some of them are 
good and some of them are not good, you know? So, so first of mm-hmm. all, it's like, oh, wow, this one is, it's totally balanced. I hear all the parts. I, I, you know, I hear a guy or a girl playing guitar and I, and I, and I see that person on stage playing guitar. So it's all, it's all mm-hmm. represented. And that's not true for all the mixes that I heard that day. You know, um, it kind of checks mm-hmm. all the boxes, but like you said, the audience members, they're, they're like, can I hear her? Can I hear what she's saying? And can I hear the words? And I think the stuff you're queuing into when you're mixing is very subtle and, and, you know, I think you probably hold yourself to a lot higher bar than than the audience is going to. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at for the nuances and for like the signature sounds that make a person lose their mind when they hear the first bar of that mm-hmm. record. You know, so it's the little things that, granted, I pulled it off, but it wasn't how I, wa- I wanted things to be more defined. But it was just, you know, like a tsunami of audio coming <laughs> towards me as opposed to um, my, you know where I'm particularly looking for certain things. Well, it was, it was funny that I said to, you know, there, there were some um, young ladies out there shadowing from the women's audio mission. And they were like, wow, that was awesome. And I go, yeah, I go, I go, Kyle told me he said he hated it. So I go, that's, that's him on a, on a bad day. And they were blown away by that. You know, just the level of clarity that, that I think where the bar is now for live music, you know, like for, versus even 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years ago, the expectations and what we're able to do. Um, I mean, let me ask you this. You sound checked at eight thirty or nine that morning. And then it was 12 hours before you came up and there was 90,000 people there and, and the humidity was through the roof. Um, did that, how did that affect you when you came out of the gates? Were you struggling with that stuff? No, I was literally just struggling with the band. Because <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when you're looking at your levels, your levels were one way and you rehearsed that yeah. way. So you, you, that's where like, okay, this is my framework. This is the picture that I want to paint. And now it's like you come into the, your can your canvas with a um, a fine brush, but then when you take your test, you have to take it with a fat brush. <laughs> so your picture is a little bit different. It might be the picture you end up drawing, but the the uh, the definition isn't there. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was dealing with. But again, you know, everybody loved it. The band came off stage in cloud nine. And I wasn't going to shoot him down, <laughs> but I shot him down. I said, Yo, y'all messed up my mix. I was playing too damn loud. And they started laughing. Like, you know, we were excited. I was like, yeah, damn excitement. Let's, let's do this right. But, you know, I let him have it. But then we we all had a few shots of tequila yeah. thereafter. And it was all good. But, you know, it's just, you know, when, when you put so much time into something, you want to present it to the world like you've rehearsed mm-hmm. it. And that's why we rehearse so much. That's why we go so hard. But, you know, things happen. But it wasn't a bad show. But for me, for wh- how I look at stuff, for me, it was terrible. But it was great for the people who right. listened to it. Is there is is she personally involved with you and how you're interpreting that mix out front? Does she have a, a directive or is, or is it just kind of do your thing, man? Make it sound good? No, nah, it can never be do your thing because at the end of the day, these songs are, are platinum records for a reason. You know, so uh, she, she, her request is like mix it like my record with a live, with the with the feel of the live pieces. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's just like the record with whatever live special moments that make those moments special. But yet, it's still the foundation of the record that you know ninety thousand, hundred thousand people listen and know the words to. So it's not a Kyle or Never Sleep rendition. It's still hers. Right. With just, you know, I'm just an extension of the band, not, well, 200 feet away from the stage. 
yeah, when, I, when you when you're when you're looking at um you know that's something you've mentioned about other artists you work with. You're like at the end of the day, whether it's Pharrell, whether it's whether it's whoever, like people are coming expecting to hear this record and and the best representation of that. Um, when you're studying that stuff, are you taking any physical notes or is it all mental notes? Well, I listen to people's catalog. You know, before I even jump on deck, or I'm already know that catalog, I don't necessarily take handwritten notes. All of it mental because I become part of that music. You know, I, there's there's shows where there's some artists that I know parts that are being played better than maybe the musical director because the musical director is probably dealing with a whole bunch of stuff and may overlook something. And I like yo, that part is missing. You know, that's this or that and third. Music. Oh yeah, good luck at you. God, you really pay attention to this music. <laughs> so yeah, I become immersed into that client because, you know, I'm here he- here for the perfection, you know, um, and 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 not to be a disservice to the to the uh, paying public. I mean, tickets are expensive, so you know, right. so the average couple go out and spend five hundred bucks to go see a show. They want to get what they pay mm-hmm. for, so I don't want to you know cheat them by making it my rendition. So I guess on that note, you know, when you you've got you know, outside lands, we had something like 90,000 people there that night. How, how much walking do you do in a typical show? Are you, are you going to check out what it sounds like in different parts of the room? Or are you trusting your system tech on that? Or how's that work for you? Well, well, I may walk. I walk the area where I'm going to generally be at, be in. Um, it makes no sense for me to walk to hear the uh, delay towers. I'm never going to hear them. I don't know what they're going to do. So that's why I have to trust the SC to make sure that's solid because I have nothing to do with it. I don't hear it. I can't even begin to tell you where it starts. So for me to say, yeah, I want to hear it like this and then go into the console and only hear the front, I only hear the main stacks. It does me nothing. So I, 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 would, I, would, I definitely rely on the SC for that. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's always an interesting conversation as a system engineer, what's the expectation? Cause there, there are people who take that approach, which is look, man, I'm going to go up there and do my mix. And I'm just staying here and I make it sound like it's supposed to sound and, and you just make sure it's it's killing back there. And then the, I've had people that they want to go to listen in every section and they want to see mm-hmm. the, you know, the analyzer and they want to put their own filters in. So it's always interesting to kind of uh, hear the how that's divided up in your head, you know, what your goals are, you know. And then at the other end of the day, I typically bore my essays because <laughs> I don't have nothing for them to do. I'm very hands on. So if nothing else, that gives them something to do because I, I pretty much do everything. So when you were, I don't, I don't, I don't lean on them heavy. Were you, all. were you working? I mean, did you sit down in, in near fields in a, in a studio environment and build your mix, or from you know, how do how do you what, how do you start putting that together? I definitely build the mix with with near fields, um, and I do. And the way that I build it, you know, it's you, you still have even though they're near fields, you can't mix it quiet per se you have to mix it with a sense of aggressiveness so i have my little my 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 uh theory of how i do it you know i I do measure sound to make sure that you know how it would how it would resonate in in to scale so um yeah i have my i have my uh my little methods to my madness with near fields do you I mean, just the, looking at your catalog. I mean, the 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 artists that you work. I mean, Lionel Richie, like, dude, that's all. Like, we're, <laughs> who were you looking to when you were coming up the, the, as your mentor that was giving you guidance when you sat down and give a mix that you would send it to and go, "Hey, is this good? How do I fix this?" You know, who was who were you kind of leaning on? My um, 
audio father was a guy named Anthony Jeffries, AJ. Uh, he was a st- studio mixer and live sound. And um, I, I would hang out with him in the studio. You know, actually, I ended up going to the same school he went to. Um, so AJ was just telling me, you know, he just showed me literally all the ropes from 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 the studio world and how to translate it into the live world. So I've been blessed to be part on both sides. Um, but yeah, AJ was my was my man, and unfortunately, he passed last year. Um, but I give all my live and studio chops to AJ. He he was my uh, my father in audio. That's awesome. That's a really cool way of putting it, too. Yeah. How how uh, how different uh, someone like him who did so much in the studio and live? Um, I feel like. Years ago, there was everyone would say, "Oh, I'm a studio, I'm a studio engineer, I'm a live engineer," and I feel like those lines are becoming closer and closer to being blurred, if, if not almost the same thing, because of the expectation of our live mixes being like a record, basically. Whereas before, mm-hmm. maybe that wasn't as much of expectation because of the technology or just whatever. So, um, how much difference do you see between a studio engineer and a live engineer in today's context? It's interesting because I personally always use them both as the same thing. If you're an engineer, you're an engineer. The only thing that's different in the live world versus uh, the studio is your gain structure. Hmm. Because sometimes you're in front of a PA versus not being in front of a PA. Um, And, you know, being in a controlled environment versus not a controlled environment. So it's, 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 it's more of a challenge live in some instances and it's more of a challenge in the studio in certain instances because in the studio you have to literally create sounds or you're creating the the final record now in the live world world you're recreating the record or sounds that are already sounds made and having to make them sound controlled in an uncontrolled environment so it's it's two in one hand, half dozen on the other. Six in one hand, half dozen on the other. So it's like it's studio engineers now almost from where I began in the studio, where we had to create things. Now it's a it's pro tools and a button. So it's almost like you know, you know, fast food of music <laughs> versus when you had to align a tape machine balance out everything and, and set tone everything make sure everything is balanced out and it was a, a, literally an art even to create reverbs and everything was an art where today it's a plug-in plug and play you know some people may not even uh, even adjust the, the program it is i'm gonna put that on there <laughs> and watch it work so you know it, it, so now it's an art but now even with the digital desks it's making a random person an engineer because you throw one of these new cats on to say a heritage and then where you got to have a bunch of outboard gear, they're lost. Mm-hmm. Hell, you could throw them on a new digital desk <laughs> without without somebody else's, uh, without somebody else's file. They're lost. So it's like, you have to really know your gear and know your craft and know where you want to go. And unfortunately, a lot of the newer engineers lean heavy on the SEs because SE really knows the desk, but they've ordered this SD7 and can't get sound through Hmm. it. 
And it's like, well, why did you order it? <laughs> well, I saw such and such and such use it, and it sounds good. You can't even program the desk. <laughs> so that that's, you know, so again, that's where I look at both mm. sides of it. You know, the studio guys are Pro Tools have ruined it. Pro Tools and Logic has ruined the engineering side over there. The digital desk has ruined it on this side because everybody's an engineer now, as long as they have somebody's file and don't even know how to file this, this program. That's, I mean, from an educational standpoint, that's a really interesting conversation to me because on the one hand, I absolutely appreciate that gear is cheaper, more affordable and more accessible. So, you know, me, when I was in high school or you get you know, young kids that are interested in it can, can get hands on the stuff. And, and if you have a passion mm-hmm. for it, there's, you know, there's not this big barrier that you have to overcome now to, to be doing it, which I think is amazing. But on the other hand, you know, you do end up with these things where, man, it, that gulf is really wide now where we, we, we always talk about in, you know, in the sixties, if you wanted a EQ, you had to build one because you couldn't call Sweetwater and order one in a box and plug it in. You had to, were building mm-hmm. them. And so I think a lot of that has been lost in this day of, like you said, let me slap this plug on and I'm going to use the default preset and it, and it's great. And there are a lot of people out there who can get great sounds, but have no idea how anything works. And as soon as something's not working right, they're dead in the water. And I, th- I see that as a problem. Exactly. Hmm. I agree wholeheartedly, and, and that's you know a gripe of mine for the younger engineers. But yet they want to command salaries that they don't deserve. <laughs> they want to get free money. I call it free money. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, your SE should be getting that check, not you, because he basically makes your fa- your show. I mean, if he pr- if he programs your desk, he should get your check. Because you didn't do it, and that, and and which means he pretty much probably got your fader levels to in together and everything else, and now you're babysitting a fader plus or minus five dB. That's not that's free money. Right. Well, that's I, you know? I, yeah, well, that's you, thing. I mean, if you come and you watch the you know the ninety minutes or whatever during the show, you you go, oh, I could do that. Just pushing them up and down. I go, yeah, that's four percent of this though. Like, how do we get to this point? You know, and that's that's the mm-hmm. thing that there are a lot of people who, like you said, could babysit the desk. I mean, you have the volunteers in House of Worship every weekend around the world. That's their job. But mm-hmm. getting to that point is where the knowledge really comes into play. And I think that that is where a lot of people can't can't deliver as much. I agree. And and then troubleshooting. I mean, again, I can troubleshoot, but I'm only going to troubleshoot so far. You know, cause I don't know everybody's rig. But the fact that I understand what to tell my SE is wrong. Mm. You know, and that's half the battle alone. If you can't communicate with your systems engineer, how can he fix what's wrong? Because if you don't know what if you don't know what's wrong, how should he assume that there's anything wrong? He his job is to make sure you have a flat PA that's working. Now, if you lose a circuit or you lose something or you lose a zone, if you can't communicate that to him, that's you. That's on you. And again, it goes back to the free money because you don't know how to communicate (laughs) what's going on. I, I I really appreciate hearing all your comments on this from the other side because you know that's the other thing about being at festivals when you're an SE is just you sit there and I've and and people have I see it on forums all the time. Man, I was really I was at this festival and I was having a hard time with the desk and the SE didn't jump in and help me. I go, Did you ask them to? We're not going to just jump but in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to get in your deal. He's not paid right. to do that. You paid by the artist. The SE is paid by the sound company. If something's going wrong because you don't know your file, that's your fault. 
And again, you shouldn't be commanding these these rates and or low rates messing up the industry, these baby <laughs> rates, because you don't know what you're doing and you just want to say, well, I could do it for this money. Oh, sure. We get him out here for next to nothing on a dime. And now the show crashes and burning. Everybody's pissed off. Hey, you know, cheap isn't always the best mm-hmm. route. Right. And, you know, and, I, and on top of that, the professionalism aspect, which is I'm not going to butt in and get in your console when you're doing your thing, unless you ask me to. If you say, hey, I'm I need some help here, then, yeah, we're going to help you out. Absolutely. But we're not going to we're not going to mm-hmm. insert ourselves into that situation. That's that's your that's your your gig, man. You know, so I'm not going to I'm not going to jump in there unless you ask for help. Um, it's, it's just a, right. it's a boundaries thing, you know, especially when you're coming in self-contained. Now, it's one thing if we're using your rig like for instance i have my own rig there right now if there's some strange things going on because i'm on your desk and is you know you got all this stuff going on that's a different conversation sure. like yo where i would say where is x y or z then you can say is here 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 but again just to arbitrarily do my work that's that's not cool do you, do you have a, a couple se's that you like to work with that you request or, or kind of favorites or do you generally just take whoever the company hands you um, no, I have some that I request, uh, you know, Brandon Hines is someone who I worked with for a long time with, with sound image, uh, Matt Grabe, another great guy that I work with. Um, who else do I work with a lot? Uh, those two are the, the ones I work with the most. Uh, but I have a, you know, host that I you know rock with that understand my workflow and how I want the PA to, to rock. So speaking speaking of rocking, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of your artists demand a significant amount of low end uh, in the live experience. So you know, um, I've seen some of the the videos or articles and stuff, and talked about like the amount of subs you you've had to deploy in some of your systems. And one of the but that's funny. I do requ- ask for a lot of subs, but I don't push them like that. Well, that's yeah, that's, no, what, that's what I want to talk about. It so like the the the, the two sides of this. One is um, uh, a you know you have that amount. What are you, what are you doing with it? And secondly, um, you talked about the um, having to balance your 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 two track coming off your desk versus that in room mix and that low end. Yeah. So can you kind of talk about kind of those how those two two things come together? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to say that because like for instance, you know, like for the Kendrick Lamar. I'm sure that's probably where you're kind of referring <laughs> to because I had 32 subs on that can- on that show. Um, so what it is is, yes, low-end is important, but it's not the end-all, be-all. You know, and there's a way you, lo- you use subs and you use, you know, the low-end to make everything make sense. And a lot of times, like with these rehearsals, you know, if you have a room and everybody says, yeah, put everything at zero, 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 zero is relative. Zero is what you make it. You know, you could put your, your fader at zero, but you could have your signal going to the amps minus 15, 20 dB, but your fader is at zero. Everybody quick say zero, 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 zero. Why, why is your, like, if you look at my desk, you might see my PA here. You may see the subs way down low. That's my zero because I didn't. I'm not messing with the amps. I'm just turning it down at this my send. So I create my own zero. So what happens is like if I when you listen to my if I gave you a two mix right now, you would hear like sometimes we listen to a desk mix. All the HF stuff is there, but you have no bass and no kick. 
because you've used it all in the PA. The PA has, in essence, become your console. I don't do it like that. You know, I, my, I might, you might see my, my sending my son maybe damn near off. But if you listen to that two mix, you have the full range of the show. And, you know, it's about balance. You know, I'm, I'm always talking about balance. You have to balance out the, out, the, out, out the PA, meaning for me, my console does all the work. You know, I push my desk hard. I, I get all the bits. Out of <laughs> I, leave, I may leave one on the table just for some, for some <laughs> spare, but I'm getting all of it out of it. And you see my desk may be hot. But my sin, everything to my PA is low, but I'm still getting that same SPL because I'm using the desk. And I know if my desk is right, because we've been rehearsing on it for, say, we've been re rehearsing for three months, you know, versus being in a room for 12 hours. Mm. I'm going to trust my console versus that 12 hour room. So I make adjustments to that 12 hour, not my desk. The only thing I do make major changes would be the fader of the vocal. Everything else is sitting. I don't have to adjust no drums or anything. Well, Again, it just depends on how the person is playing. But stuff that's mechanical, i.e. Pro Tools and stuff that whatever you, a certain keyboard, that you just, it's going to be the same thing day in and day out. I'm never touching that because it's already sitting where it's supposed to be. So I, I'm i a proponent of completely balancing out my PA. I let my SE do his thing. You know, get your, get your references, make it flat, make it flat to how I want it flat. Everybody's flat is different. Sure. But my, make it to my flat. So then when I walk up, I pull all the faders down. I'm going to rebalance it how I want it because I want him to know what his true is because it's hard for people to understand my way of thinking. So I let you do you, and then I come and do me. And that's how I balance the room out. But, yes, I ordered a lot of stuff. It's better to have the horsepower and not need sure. it than to need it and not Absolutely. have it. You know, and a lot of this stuff, and especially in a lot of hip hop music today, the low end is subsonic, but it's still musical. It's not just you hearing key notes. Mm -hmm. So you want all that stuff to translate. So if, if you don't have the horsepower to do it, and there's some PAs that you may hit one of them low notes and it, 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 it cancels out. You don't hear it, you know, because it's too low for the sub. So, you know, it's, it's those things where you have to have multiple to build it just so you can get the ghost note to make us to make something looking that you're looking for. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I order certain show. Yeah, I order quite a bit of subs, but I don't use the horsepower because one, it crushes me and I don't like the way that shit sounds. I want it to have a high fi my, my mix is very clear in your face and punchy. I don't like a lot of standing, standing waves going on. It hits you, it's the impact, and then it's gone. You know, so yes, I use I use low end as an effect as well as what the song calls for. But it's not just a woofy sound. I'm about fidelity. Yeah, and uh, your send to your subs is that matrix based? Is that aux based? Is it off your left or right? Matrix. Yeah. Is that matrix just from your matrix left or right? Based. So it, or is it you choose still to kind of level things out, for, you know, per input? No, matrix from my left, okay. right. You know, what's interesting about, about what you're saying is I, I, I tend to do the same thing, even on a smaller scale, like how many subs can I get? And I might end up turning them down by 90 B, but they sound better when they're not <laughs> working so hard. You know, you don't get all that distortion in there. Mm -hmm. It's a cleaner sound. 
Um, so I'd rather mm-hmm. take the extra subs and then turn them down. And it's easy for someone to look at it and go, you didn't, you didn't actually need that much sub. I go, yeah, but do you hear to me? It's, it's, it's very audible how much cleaner it is when those subs aren't working mm-hmm. that hard, you know? And also it's about coverage. Sure. I mean, yeah, I can redline it and push it through the roof with eight, but why not run like, you know, cruise with 16, mm-hmm. you know, for a certain for a certain situation every so every like kendrick d- required a certain amount of a certain tonality that they would get because they, they it was so much key base it was ridiculous so you had to it was warranted but you know for like someone like a janet okay yeah typically might use eight i mean you might use four but i use eight you know so it just depending on what the uh the the client music requires that I would, but I'm gonna go a little overkill than underkill. Right. Um, speaking of that, I mean, I, I'd love, and it's something that we haven't talked about on the show at all. I think really in 131 episodes, I'd love to talk about playback a little bit. Um, you have a lot of a lot of kind of acts that have a, a strong playback component to them, and you said something in an interview mm-hmm. that I thought was really interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it before, which is you know, you want to make sure the playback's loud enough because that's the parts that are making it feel like that album, the polish, those elements that people, you know, when they're mm-hmm. missing or they're too low, it's not right. And so that's a really cool point. Can can you talk a little bit about how you handle playback in your mix? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people look at playback, Pro Tools, Ableton, whatever they're using as an afterthought. That's the album. That's the record. So technically, that's primary, and that's all the bells and whistles that the band physically can't play, or you just can't have enough people on stage to use them. So those have, I mean, so we, I, what we do is I have them take out certain elements that we're not going to karaoke. We're not going to, if there's kicks and stuff in there, we're taking all that out, you know, um, unless there's certain sound that, that unless they're going to play triggers, and if the triggers are coming at playing, we play it. Take them out so we, so the trigger can play the same thing, but I don't want to double up because then you get flanging and all that other stuff. But you got to have all that other stuff dominant because that those are the signature sounds of the records. You know, even if it's a, a trap hat or if it's you know some some key lines that the keyboard player may be playing because he's playing a pad. You know, so you got to have all that stuff right there in your face as if it's another band. You have to treat Pro Tools or playback like a band member, um, more or less the MD side of the band member than everybody else follows suit. But, you know, even if it, but then you have to make that balance too. So if it does crash and drop out, you don't have it, you don't lose the weight of your show, you know, especially if it's, you know, certain things are being in there that's holding it down. But yeah, that Pro Tools is, is more important than the band sometimes because if the band, if Pro Tools stops, you don't have a show. Because the other side of it, you've killed video, <laughs> killed lighting, <laughs> you killed everything because they all ran off time. Right, right. that's that's I, really interesting. Do, do you what granularity you typically go for when it's coming into your desk? Like, do you want as much multi track as possible, the individual elements, or do you take it in as groups? How do you prefer to lay that out? No, I want individual elements as much as possible. I, I'm, I'm I use we when. <sighs> If I could have 64 channels of Pro Tools, I would. <laughs> but uh, so I'd take 32. Um, 
so yeah, I, I use because the more separation, the better. Because you got to remember, some of these stems that were that are maybe being created, if they're not complete album stems, they may have too much stuff in them. Then you have no control mm-hmm. over things, and then a signature piece could be buried in a key stem that you can't push out because is 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 built into a stem. So give me as much flexibility as possible. So how how is that? On the Lizzo show, how is that stuff coming into your console? Is it is it di- coming digital off of Pro Tools into your stage box, or how how do you guys have that set up? Uh, we I use an orange box. We take thirty two channels. Maddie. Oh, cool. That was that was one of the things that uh, we we asked. Uh, we told our on our Discord that we are interviewing you, and that was one of the questions that came in. People were interested in about the playback. Um, how, how how much dialogue are you having with the MD and getting to pick which elements you like? You mentioned, you know, hey, you know, I want you to play this live versus I'm playing these samples. Um, uh, how much does the MD get to pick that versus how much do you get to pick that? How how does that go? And I, I imagine no, changes I per artist, but. It's it, it, it's a conversation. Like he may say, "Do you want to control this?" Or what? what uh, it first begins on what they're going to play. You know, if they're playing this and a third, okay, fine. Well, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. So we have a collective conversation about what is played and what is going to be memorex. And then, so whatever is memorex, we just I, I need as much separation as possible so I can control things. Because again, what it what happens in ears isn't the same translation what happens in mm-hmm. the house so where you know they may be like oh this is cool for ears well, it doesn't work for me because it's not it's not giving me enough impact mm-hmm. or enough you know uh definition for in that moment in time so yeah i definitely get as much once we've decided on what we're going to do i get as much uh, isolation as possible the, the interesting thing on that though is so the decision that you and the md made there you probably could have completely changed what an what, what a band member on stage has to play that tour that has happened <laughs> <laughs> because one of two things happen even either the band member cannot play that sound or cannot recreate that sound and play it in a cadence. So now you look, well, you tried, it didn't work or it did work. And now we got to go this way or that way, you know, but sometimes you may have a player that, you know, I know a few keyboard aux keyboard players who are like human pro tools. They, <laughs> they, their sounds and their voicing is dead on to what's on the album. Okay. You're going to play yeah. it take that out now and again when you have all that isolation it gives you more spacing Mm. it doesn't overload your buses like if you have too much stuff coming down for instance your loop channel your loop channel is oversaturated Mm -hmm. you have too much coming down that channel and you have no in your bus can't breathe so now you start taking stuff out and letting that bus breathe and again and now you have implemented space into your mix as opposed to it's just a tsunami of sound and, and then, um, shit. You forgot your question. Uh, I did forget my question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Sorry. Um, you talk about how, um, you know, again, being just like the record and, you know, you want all the, um, all those elements of the pro tools to be like the record. How about any of your effects and things that you have going on? Are you ever talking to the producers or whatever and using any of that same stuff so that it, it, it hits just the same? Or is that still all your own decisions on how to implement that stuff? Nah, again, certain, certain things like maybe if we're using any kind of auto tune effects or whatever, again, it's not for me to recreate 
Whip sold millions of records. Yo, talk to the producer or the engineer. Yo, we need that. We need that setting so she or he can reproduce this vocal piece for this record. So it's not. So I imagine T Pain that's probably pretty critical. Uh, yeah, he's completely <laughs> auto tune dependent. So you know whatever whatever parameters they use in the studio, they translate live. Hey, g- give them to me. I'm not there to try to re- recreate the wheel. Yeah. I'm just here to make the you know just roll that bad boy. So let's just let's make it simple. Let's not make it rocket science. How much are you relying upon you know external processing hardware waves versus what's right inside the console? What's that split for you? Well, I don't use waves at all. Uh, I use UAD. Awesome. Um, I love that I have, stuff. That's man. what I have my personal. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm not heavily dependent on that stuff. Again, especially okay. It all boils down to again your signal to noise. So, if you have a band member that's giving you everything and, and they play well, there's nothing for me to do to that channel. Right. You have stuff coming from Pro Tools is already processed. Uh, there was a conversation I had with Waves many years ago. They said, "How come you don't use Waves and blah 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 blah?" I said, "Well, if I put Waves on top of Waves, <laughs> you have a tsunami." <laughs> Again, everything that's coming from Pro Tools is completely waved out. That's a that's a good one. Mastered and everything else. Why would I do it again? It's already there. I c- and then for certain reverbs and everything, you got to remember we're in an outdoor mm. element. Reverb and all that stuff again. This goes back to the studio that I was talking about. You're in a controlled environment, so yes, you want to use all these sexy reverbs to create an environment that you're not mm. in. We're outside. Only thing that my my reverbs can do is wash out certain things. Mm. So I, I use a lot of that stuff very sparingly. Now, do I use um uh uh um mic pre's? Yes. Because you're you have to get that vocal out to make it pop. Certain things on, you know, maybe a keyboard. I may use some stuff here and there. But as a whole, my plugin chain might be four plugins, if that. And that's between a couple of different instruments. You know, I have a vocal chain. And then for like, I may throw something on a bass, you know, just to make it given that warmth, make it pop a little bit. I may do some on maybe some keys. It just all depends. But overall... My, if all my outboard gear fell off the truck and didn't show up and crash, I could still have a show. And I, cause I'm not um, plug in dependent by any means. I, I, I rather use whatever's in the console first and everything else secondary. Except for, you know, even if my stuff died on my, on my, on my vocal, I already have it preset. So if that did crash, mm. I can go right. internal, internally on a desk. So speaking of that, Lizzo's vocal, I mean, I remember hearing the songs on the radio and like it, they're so tightly compressed they're right here you know and i remember thinking like man that's got to be a challenge live she's such a dynamic singer um she really works her microphone uh she's dancing right so how do you approach i mean i heard you do it how do you approach controlling that and keeping that consistent keeping her in that pocket where where it's sitting it's funny lizzo sings her ass off it's actually people who who really give you that vocal 
it's actually easier to mix them than a person who sings like a mouse pitting up, pissing on cotton. Because, <laughs> um, again, Signal to Noise, which is your podcast name. I, I'm giving you Thank so you, man. Yeah, man bring it. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't put anything into the microphone, we have to add noise, basically. Turn, give you so much, because right. then it's picking up all the ambience. Now your microphone goes from a microphone to an ambient mic. It can hear somebody drop of a, 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 a Leatherman when you when you turn it up so damn loud. So I love an artist that gives me mm. great signal. Lizzo, Usher. I mean, people they just you like yo. I'm trying to turn it down in places. Um, that's the best. So technically, as great as you heard Lizzo doing her thing, she makes it effortless right. for me. That's that's her. You know, she, but the clarity and everything, you know, that that's all her. She, she is a true, she, she sings her ass off. That's all I can say. So, you know, she makes it easy for us. When I, when I think about loud singers like that, powerful voices, something I've run into is they, some mic capsules don't do well with those SPLs, you know, up close. Um, is, true. is that something you true. had to work on or does she have a mic that she knows works for her? How's that work? No, actually we, we, we introduce her to the mic that she's on now. And it just works well for, um, and, and it's, and it's interesting because it's not about the, the loudness per se. It's about her projection. Mm. You know, she doesn't just belt just for the sake of belting. She, she knows how to use the mic. She knows how to use sing from her diaphragm. So she's singing with power. So I, I call it like, you know, she got a lot of torque. In her <laughs> not awesome, necessarily yeah. horse is torque. You know, so, you know, when you have that, you don't have to sing hard. It's just there. So, um, yeah, she, her, 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 her vocals are, are incredible and it's effortless. You know, it's like, she's, she, yeah, even when she's playing around, she still gives you a lot because she, one, she has great mic technique. She's not singing all over the microphone. She's not singing over the microphone. She's singing directly into that capsule. And also... Another thing that helps us front of house engineers, especially when people wearing ears, if you don't have them too loud to themselves, they will sing. As soon as the monitor engineer turn the ears up too loud, then they start singing softer. So you have to know who's on who's on the deck on the desk with you on the other side of the snake that you know understands that the more you give them, the less they give us, or the less they give you them to yourself. Because again, but. On the same token, monitor monitor desk input meters or input levels typically are considerably lower because, you know, that's just how it is over there. You know, you want to bang anybody's ears out and you're trying to keep your zero fader at zero, <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, it's a it's a, um, a slippery slope. But at the end of the day, no, she she gives us more than enough SPL that makes it um almost work effortless for us and the, the the drummer man her drummer's a monster that was so cool that she was just killer yeah, she was definitely a monster that day. <laughs> i called her bam bam she wore me out she beat the brakes out of them drums that day and i like what i asked her where did all that come from i said well you must have went to the weight room before you came because you've never played that hard and and they so, broke yeah, the it bass was, it, was, it was an exciting show man <laughs> yeah they again they <laughs> Jumped off the top turnbuckle <laughs> and tried to tear up everything. And I was like, yo, what is going on here? 
but they rocked out and you know we have a show on the fourth in miami now nice. <laughs> as a result so when it, whenever someone has uh prince on their resume i, I have to ask because there's always got to be an interesting story so that was i looked that up by 2012 that so that tour was in the round right was that a, in, in the round in the round tour yes it was and that was <laughs> it was weird i got hot when i when i when I got hired by him, it was interesting because I didn't know I was talking to him, but I was. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I thought I was being hired for front of house only. I was hired to do front of house and monitors at the same that time. It sounds like a consistent story. From here. the same desk. <laughs> yes, it was uh it was weird. It was interesting. Uh, you know, but we rocked out for a few months, you know. Uh, I, I, I learned, I learned a lot from him and I didn't learn a lot from him at the same time. Um, if nothing else, I learned how to deal with people as a result <laughs> of him. Um, but it was interesting because all the stories I heard prior to working with him didn't necessarily, necessarily apply. So that's why I don't necessarily, when people say, oh, this person's a dick, this person, this or that, you can't do this, you can't do that. That may just be your experience because everybody's experience is different. Mm. And my experience was, you know, when people say, don't look him in his eye, don't shake his hand. That's weird to me. You know, I, when I met him, I shook his hand, looked him dead in the eye, and we spoke. Um, so I think, you know, that may be, you know, who's ever running camps, you know, because sometimes people in camps put things out there that really aren't true, yeah. you know. Just to, you know, they're more like myths. Uh, don't do this because he'll get mad. Well, if he don't get mad because I look a man in the face and shake his hand, I don't need to be mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are a man just like I am, you know. So there's just certain things that I heard that didn't happen. But, you know, he is a he, he definitely was a musical genius had some different ways of thinking that didn't necessarily make sense. I'm like, so I, I realized that, you know what? I'm not going to go back and forth. I'm going to let him make the decision that I already made just eight hours later. <laughs> you know, let him make the judge. Like, well, try this, try that, try this. Cool. Okay. You know, cool. Make it happen. Well, let's go back. That's where we were before. <laughs> and he's looking at you kind of, kind of side eye. But no, it was a great experience, you know, because, um, you know, to say Prince was somebody who I rocked with for some time was was incredible. You know, um, uh, you input. I mean, um, set list meant nothing. <laughs> uh, rehearsals meant nothing. You would rehearse. Basically, you had to know his entire catalog so that whenever he pulled up a song, whatever song it was. You had to be on point, even if it was, you know, you know, having his delays tapped out and all this stuff. Pre, I mean, you could not do his show with snapshots. Everything had to be static because you never knew where you were going to go. You know, if you had a snapshot way up here and had to be down here and you had a fun. It's never going to happen. He was you really truly had to mix his show static. And just know where everything was. And that was dope because, you know, coming from. You know, when we used Midas's and everything back in the days, yeah, you could set your mute groups and had a pseudo automation on there. But even with his world, you can't do it because you just never knew where he was going to go. You just had to 
have your muscle memory on and do your mutes and just you know be on point. What 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 console did you happen to be on for that run? Well, <laughs> at the time I was told I was the only one to ever use SD seven with him. Uh, he was always a Heritage three thousand. I always had to have one or two of them, but. I was like, he said he need he wanted this, this, that, and this, and we want to do that. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing all that with that. Have, I'm gonna do me, and I did me, and we rocked out until uh, we we parted ways. So, I mean, when you look back on either the list that Chris sent us, is amazing. Is there one artist or one gig that really stands out? Where you're like, man, this is awesome. I'm gonna remember this forever. It's kind of your favorite, your favorite gig. I can't say any one artist because. I mean, fortunately, for my career, I've when I look back, I, I kind of shocked myself when I look back at my mix. I call it a mixography um, of who I've mixed over. Well, I've been doing lifestyle for twenty eight years now. Uh, we're not live, just an engineer mm-hmm. for twenty eight years, and, and see the body of things that I've done. I'm like, wow! I've, if you listen to the radio in an hour, you I've heard four or five or six, seven artists that I've mixed in different, you know, you basically have my wife's Spotify playlist person. over here. I mean, if that's really, if I would just import it to Spotify, that's my wife's playlist. That's, that's, that's what. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, you know, I, I got from technically old school to today yeah. and, um, and it wasn't like old school or today when they were on the downstroke, it was when they were on the ascent or when they were white hot, to you know tapping out and 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 to whatever you know but it's just it's just it's it's great to see that and to say that i've been on their payroll mm. not mixed them in a uh a, a, a festival where they just happen to show up like these are clients who have been truly clients right. of mine yeah so it's um it's been a great experience and i'm and like i said i'm, I'm not over it. i'm not done yet but you know I'm, as my son gets older um, I don't, I don't see myself being gone 10 months out the year t- too much longer. My, he, my son would be 12 in, 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 um, February. So, you know, I, I need to be around to, you know, see his basketball games, you know, football game, the things that he does mm-hmm. so that to help mold him into the young man that he's going to be the next couple of years. So, you know, I'm uh, trying to, you know, figure things out, but yeah, I'm still want to tour, but I'm I, I'm have to figure out how to be more selective and not just be gone for yeah. like I said ten months or so. That's awesome. So one of the things that we we do a lot of work with here on on the show and with our community is mentorship stuff. So can you can you talk about Never Sleep because a couple of people were kind of looking at that and they thought it was interesting. So can you just tell us about that? Well, Never Sleep is you know I, I came I was fortunate I went to school uh, worked for a sound company very briefly and then you know became se and you know the rest is off to the races but um i'm I'm here to like i want to see um as far as far as in the in the front of house position for me um i want to see more people of color out there um because you know there i can count maybe five that kind of work really heavy on the a-list world you know out of all the music that's out there i mean we just don't have enough not i want to say representation just enough um 
quality guys out there to go out there and, and handle shows of this caliber. And again, not lean on the SEs for all the help and then want these checks. So with Neversley, I, I'm in the, in the process of grooming. I have five guys that work for me. Um, but I'm also, you know, want to continue grooming some so that when clients hire me, they hire Neversley. They're not hiring Kyle. You know, they hire my company and they know that I may not be there, but I'll be there from afar. Mm. You know, I'm a phone call away or fly to if I had to show up. But, you know, you're getting the Sonic brand and the Sonic and, 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 and the know-how when you call my company to come out there and, and rock with you. And, you know, just, you know, give more opportunity to, to qualify guys who don't necessarily have. Um the reach to get to certain clients or to even get into a sound company. But you have, you know, a lot of, I didn't, but a lot of guys get their chops in a church or in a place of sanctuary. 100%. And honestly, if you correct that with a few little, with a few little things to understand with a big PA, you can do pretty much anything. Cause you know, churches is, is, is a battlefield, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> with, with deal, especially dealing with feedback, you know, all the wedges there by yelling and cupping mics and do all kinds of silly things, have no mic technique. If you can live there and, and make it sound good there, you can do a PA, a, a large format PA anyway, yeah. any day, but you just have to have some molding, some, some fine tuning. And then also comes with, with touring. You have to have what called touring etiquette, you know, because a lot of cats don't understand the touring etiquette either. So never sleep is one that will, you know, bridge that gap. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do or I am actively doing, but you know, you have to, you know, I've built, I've worked so long to put in my name, to make my name solid, but it could take one person to kill it. Mm, right. So I'm very selective on who I, who I uh, say, I validate him saying this guy is a hundred percent official. Uh, and, and, you know, before we wrap up, I, I, I just want to, I want to thank you kind of publicly for, you know, the professionalism that you showed. You're showing up to this huge festival. You're the headline act. You know, I've got the unpopular job of telling people, hey, you can't you can't be too loud. Here's the meters. And and, and I kept yeah, asking it, you, well, am you I did. good? You, after, after you did your, your sound check, you said, hey, my level's okay. And then, you know, during the show, you're like, everything cool. And I appreciate that because you could have been like, man, we're the headliners. We're doing whatever the fuck we want. And we did have acts take that attitude and that's just not cool for anybody and mm -hmm. we all want the festival to be able to come back next year and not get in trouble and so mm -hmm. i i appreciate the example that you set and and the professionalism that you had and and uh i i just think it's you know it's it's um it's something that i that i hope people will take notice of and and kind of it's a good model but also you got to remember too yes we're here to make a show sound great but we're also here not to damage anybody's mm -hmm. ears. amen you know, that's a very important thing. If you if you banging somebody's ears out for, you know, X amount of time, you can cause hearing loss. And, you know, yes, you have your peaks and valleys. We can't control audience, but it's not sustained. It's the sustained SPO that, you know, causes fatigue to the ear and damages the ear. So that's why I get it. You know, you got to have your peaks and valleys. You can't do this for so long. But, you know, there's times where it's just like, yo, I, me personally, I'm never going to compete with the Right. You will never win. The, uh, the audience will always win. And at the end of the day, all you're gonna do is hurt somebody's ears. Yes. So, you know, I get it. You know, but that's why I was like, Yo, am I cool? Cause 
I felt like I was pushing it inadvertently. And he's like, nah, you were actually you were okay. I'm like, no, nah, <laughs> I don't think so. Like, no, they loved it. So Michael, I know who you need on your next uh SPL panel. You yeah, gotta, you gotta yeah, bring in Kyle. I mean, you because Kyle, you basically just preached everything that Michael already said. I've been through Michael's class out you know a bunch of times, and you basically just summarized his whole class in like two minutes. <laughs> Wow. Well, yeah, you'll have you on the panel. <laughs> awesome. You know, we we did have acts that that came out and were just like blowing the doors out, and you know, I got the SE turning them down, and festival management's out there. That's mm-hmm. no fun, man. Nobody wants that, you know. So, um, it mm-hmm. was it was just a cool experience, and and uh, you know, like I said, as someone who's been following your work for for quite a while, it was uh, it was a real treat to hear you do your thing, man. So so thank you. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And I uh, thank you guys for having me oh, on. We got, we got two more questions. Hold on. We, we, we got two more. We got two more. You got two more questions. questions. All right. All right. Well, no, Michael, you have your question. Then. I'm out of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, to wrap up, two two quick questions that we do at the end of every show. Uh, the first question is: uh, You think about all your time on the road, all the all the meals that you've had out there. Is there one meal that really stands out? If we were going to come out and visit you on the road, where would you want to take us to eat? On the all the meals. The meals. <sighs> well, I think well, this meal um, was my first m- entertainment meal. Well, not my first, but it was my first major entertainment meal. I would say it was uh, given to me by one of my vendors. Um, uh, and uh. It was the first time I was ever ordered a four-pound lobster. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was told to get it. I was like, you have to get the four-pound lobster. And uh, I don't know all about how much lobsters yeah. weigh, but that sounds like a really big lobster. <laughs> it was massive, but... I mean, it, it was. I mean, it, it was. It was incredible. But I mean, again, you know, with four pound lobster, you got to remember a lot of it is unedible. You know, you just, you just got the tail, you got the right. claws. That's about it. Everything else, you got to toss. But it was. Um, it was incredible. Uh, and then the beverage, the way he had, we, we ordered some champagne, and he had the 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 server come every 15 minutes to turn a quarter turn so you can have it evenly chilled. <laughs> I was like, yo, you guys do it the time too much before we even got to the venue. We got to drinking it. But I would say it's the Palms. Um, the Palms restaurant. We would have to do that. Uh, they have incredible food uh, from top to bottom. But yeah, that was my first. That was my, that, that would be my my restaurant that I remember the first real grand, grand expensive dinner <laughs> that I've ever had. It's awesome. Cause when I saw the bill, I was like, yeah, that's real. <laughs> he said, bring, he said, he said, Kyle, you can bring yourself and one other person. Let's go. So, uh, I, at the time I had my protos engineer come with me. I like, he's like, at the end of the day, protos got my partner in crime. So him and I, him and I went out to dinner at the palms and, Never forget. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Kyle, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? The diamond fader. 
<laughs> we didn't even. We, I, I didn't. I didn't, couldn't even tell that. So is that that's a fader on there? Yeah, it's a fader for my fortieth birthday. I had a diamond fader made, and I can literally put it on on any console. Wow! And oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I had it made from an SD seven, and I had I took a fader from SD seven, had it double sized, and I put diamonds in it. And it was just, you know, saying this is what I've done for the past, you know, umpteenth years. And I'm all, I've been all over the world. And this has given me the life that I have, life for my family. And, you know, I want, and every blue moon, I put a, I put it on a console, like whoever the artist is, I put that diamond nice. fader on the principal act. That's really That's cool. That's awesome. I want to see some, to see some pictures yep. of that. That's cool. Yeah. Kyle, thank you so much for your time, man. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got to do it again. Yeah,